0: This is Rabbi Shabbat Engelmeyer, and welcome to Keep the Faith, my bi-weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. Before we begin, I want to thank all of you for your good wishes and, most important, for your prayers. I'm on the mend, and God willing, I'll keep getting better, and your prayers are a big part of that. Hesach, Passover, arrives in just 27 days from today. And it's arguably the most significant festival on the Jewish calendar. Everything that we are, the very purpose of our being, Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, is wrapped up in the events we commemorate on Pesach. Pesach defines us in profound ways. I happen to love Pesach and everything connected to it. And I'm not alone, of course. But too many Jews don't want to have anything to do with it. In fact, more than a third of American Jews don't even attend a Pesach seder. They think the whole Pesach thing, as they put it, is absurd. And worse, they use what they see as its absurdities to turn their backs on just about all of Judaism's religious aspects. What are these absurdities that so turn them off? Well, for one thing, there are the massive food and beverage restrictions. The Torah forbids five grains on Pesach: wheat, rye, barley, salt, and, according to most authorities, at least oats. But we'll get to that. That's what the Torah forbids. But that list has been added to and expanded on in so many ways over the last two thousand years or so. Today, most vegetable oils are on the forbidden list, even though they don't have any grain in them, much less forbidden grain. Anything made with corn is forbidden because corn is forbidden, even though. What we call corn was unknown in biblical times and Talmudic times. In fact, it was unknown in most of the world until Christopher Columbus brought it back with him from the New World. So, for example, only special bottles of Coca-Cola are allowed on Tata. They have yellow caps and cost more than the white cap ones. Why? Because the regular white cap bottles have corn syrup in them. And as well are rice and anything that contains rice, anything that contains peas or peanut butter and so on. And then there's the excessive cleaning that's required, and not just in the kitchen. Every room has to be carefully searched for comments, including bathroom nursing cabinets. Even pants and jacket pockets of clothes have to be checked for comments. Finally, there's the expense. Pesach is the most costly observance on our calendar by far. Some of that cost is necessary to be sure, but not most of that cost. In fact, the rules for preparing for Pesach and for what we may or may not eat are off halachah's realism chart. Rather than helping people keep a kosher Passover in every sense of that term, it not only has pushed people away from observing Pesach, but it's convinced them to turn their backs on Jewish observance of any kind. And so, The topic for this week is a saner way to approach Passover, its rules, and its restrictions. As promised, a couple of months back, Rabbi Aaron Abadi is back with us to help guide us through this not-as-complicated-as-they-make-it-sound discussion of the Jews and Don'ts of Pesach. Earlier this week, Rabbi Abadi's kashrut.org website just released its 2023 list of foods that we may eat on Pesach that don't carry a kosher for Passover stamp on them. And some of these foods will surprise you. There's no reason to break the bank to properly observe Pesach. I urge everyone to check it out and please to donate to enable the Abadi family and kashrut.org to do what I consider to be God's work in bringing people back to observance of kashrut and so much more. The website, by the way, also has a much saner and more reasonable guide for cleaning the Pesach. For the record, Rabbi Abadi and his family are quite orthodox, and their rulings are all based on Sphardi interpretations of Jewish law, not the stringency of the month club Ashkenazic interpretations. Rabbi Abadi, thank you for joining us again. You heard my introduction to this podcast. Is there anything you'd like to correct? Did I exaggerate it in any way? Any comments you want to make before we get started?
1: Everything was perfect. Everything was well said. And the only one issue is that we are Sephardic, but we grew up in Ashkenazi community. So we do highlight both and help with Ashkenazi, and tell you which ones are correct and which ones are not.
0: Okay, so before we go on, tell us again, please, how org Got started, what some of the questions are that you answer, and why you go to such trouble every year to prepare this Pesach list and everything else. Yeah, 40 years ago,
1: the Sephardic community in Deal, we, we were living in Lakewood, Sephardic community in Deal, um first of all, that then never were right-wing fanatics, and um they were allowed to eat all the kidney oats that Ashkenazim cannot eat. Kidney And, and legumes. Legume. Yeah, and none of the rice and, you know, all the things that Ashkenazim don't eat. And none of the hashroot certification agencies did anything to, to notify them what they can or cannot eat. So we did it for ourselves. We made a list of what we can eat. We did research. We made a list of what we can eat. And then everyone in deal, like the people that we knew, were asking for it. So before we turned around, every year we were mailing out a list that we created for ourselves, technically. And then, you know, eventually we did it for everyone. And then we, when the fax machines came out, we, we started faxing it. It was easier. And the second the internet came out, I, I took out org. That's how I got that name. And um, put it posted on the internet. So it's, it's 40 years of this. People made it every year. They're excited. And so we keep doing it.
0: I consider it a great mitzvah. When we talk about rice, the Gemara very clearly states that one of the dishes that should be on the Seder table is rice. One rabbi one rabbi says rice is a grain, and then the Gemara says this rule proves that nobody listens to him about that. Yet all of a sudden, some hundred years later, rice is hummus. You don't consider oats to be one of the five grains. So explain the five grains and why you don't think oats are part of it.
1: The five grains are chitim, uh, which is we assume is wheat or something like wheat, and three types of seorim, which we assume is barley or something like that. Somebody woke up one day and decided, okay, we got to give names to all five grains. So they try to figure out what names to put on them. And there's an ancient grain that was called oats, or oats, in an ancient language, not in English. And they say, well, if that's oats and this is oats, so then it must be the same thing. But it doesn't work that way. Oats has no DNA similar to wheat or barley. And if you look at them, take oats in your hand and look at them, well, a any farmer, oats is not a type of wheat or a type of barley. In reality, there's probably only two grains that we have today because the grains evolved. We're not using the wheat that they had in the olden days. We're using something else. And, you know, so the closest thing we know, wheat that we use, like bread, fine, we'll consider that wheat, and then the barley, we'll consider that barley. But any other grains, you know, so spelt is a type of wheat. So we can include stuff, but it's not necessarily one of the other gra- five main grains, it might just be chitin, it might just be the wheat. You can't just create things because you, you, you don't have an alternative. <laughs> if we don't know what the other grains are, maybe we don't have them, maybe they don't exist anymore.
0: Okay, so that deals with the question of oats, but on the list, for example, we have Trader Joe's gluten free white or whole wheat, whole grain bread. We have Kate's bake shop, gluten free oatmeal raisin cookies. We have gluten free rice krispies, among other things. What does gluten free have to do with all of this?
1: Gluten free, the minute gluten free became a thing, which was years after we started, it made our life easy because if the manufacturer permits that it's gluten free. Then, then it's good, then, then we would put it on the list. There are certain items that they consider gluten-free that still have wheat ingredients, like alcohol and vinegar. Where during the process, they believe the gluten is out. But people don't need to go to the website and get a list. It's easier, it makes it easier, they don't need to send questions to the website. Any person, any one of us that is intelligent enough to Google should be able to figure out an ingredient. So if they go to the store and pray to Joe's, and my, I have so many thousands of people that used to be on the website that stopped coming because they they figure they understand how to do it, and I, I encourage that. Um, we're all intelligent enough to do it. You go to the store, maybe there's one or two specific things that you want to ask, but on a regular basis, you go to the store and you look for gluten-free, and, Gluten-free, you know that there's not going to be wheat or barley in it, because wheat and barley have gluten. So it's pretty simple, and you can trust them more than you can trust a certification agency, because they're taking a risk when they tell you it's gluten-free, a very expensive financial risk, if they're actually putting wheat in it and, uh, and someone gets sick. That's an immediate lawsuit. So you can rely on that 100%. So if you're walking in the store, you're going gluten-free, it's pretty simple. Now, if there's those two ingredients that can be not, like alcohol and vinegar, if they're not the first few ingredients, if let's say they're not the first two ingredients, then you can have it because whatever wheat is in there is such a minute amount that by the time it's the third ingredient... It's too minimal. It's already battel. It's already rendered irrelevant.
0: What is Chitniot and what's wrong with it?
1: Rice and beans on Pesach. Big mistake. Big mistake. out is a minhach. That's another problem in today's Orthodox Judaism. We don't identify the levels and values of each prohibition and of each mitzvah. So, don't kill someone, is equal to don't eat kidney. We lost the ability to identify the differences. You have things that are from the Torah. You have things that are from the rabbis. You have things that are early minhagim, which is early customs. And then you have things that are just, you know, customs. And each thing has a different level. So people fast. Tanit Esther, right? People fast. A lot of people don't fast. Why do the people not fast? He says, you have to fast. No, because it's just a custom, and I'm not comfortable fasting. So then all the rabbis say, no problem, don't fast. But kipniot is the same thing. It's just a minag. So I remember when I was newly married, I asked my father. I said, if I have a guest who's an Ashkenazim on Passover, can he eat my food? I said, of course, he comes to your house, he eats your food. The minute goes away. It's just a minute. It's just a custom. It's just a custom. And we overdid it. And then we added all these items. Peanuts and corn. They don't exist. Corn is from the Americas. It it, it didn't exist before. The reason for the custom doesn't exist. It's not a rabbinical restriction. It's a custom. And the custom should, should be canceled.
0: It's just a custom. It's silly when it first came out, when around the 11th century, many rabbis called it a minhag shtut, a silly custom. Yeah. And there's halacha that requires us to not observe a minhag shtut. Yeah. And yet, you know, this grows and grows and grows. Uh, yeah. What it's about derivative, pitnial derivatives, and, and questionable kidney. Even in the
1: most extreme halachic law, of kidney oats, if it's less than 50%, because it's just a custom, then you're allowed to eat it. So all the ingredients that are kidney oats, like someone, I put on the website, in the beginning I used to not do it because I would get too many questions, but then I started doing it. I put on the website, mustard is okay, right? There's a yellow mustard, is okay for Ashkenazim, And I already got immediately a question, How could it be kosher and azim? It's mustard. Mustard is one of the famous kidney. So I explained, I said the majority is water. The majority of mustard is water. So if it's 49% or less uh, kidney, then the custom doesn't apply. That's what it says. The same people who wrote the custom, they put that caveat. It's only something that's more than 50%. A person to used their judgment, is there weed in it? You can look at any ingredients, if there's wheat or barley, you will have to say at the bottom of the ingredients, don't read all the ingredients, don't worry about all the chemicals, On the bottom it's going to say contains, and it's going to list any allergens, which wheat and barley is an allergen. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't say wheat or barley in there, it's good, it's simple.
0: There is so much to do regarding cleaning and getting ready for Pesach that just doesn't seem real, especially not in our current world.
1: The cleaning of the house is a wonderful thing you should do every week. You, you have no reason to do it to Passover differently than every other Shabbat or whenever you do your weekly cleaning. In my house, for 30 years, prepared for Pesach in under two hours, the night before. And I'll explain how and why. Tamara says very clearly that you do not have to worry about crumbs. Crumbs are meaningless. So when we do that search the night before, we are searching for a big piece. So maybe a whole pretzel or a candy. We are not searching for Uh crumbs. When you do your search, you're only supposed to look at places where you put food which would be the kitchen, not the bedrooms. And and some people, maybe they have food in the bedrooms on an ongoing basis, so it's one drawer. They're not putting it all over the bedroom. Go to the bedroom, check that one drawer. Your jacket pockets, if you do, then, yeah, go check. The cleaning part of searching for the food takes us less than 10 minutes. Less than 10 minutes. That's also just a custom. That's not part of the watching out for Passover. Because you're gonna make, you're gonna render everything irrelevant. You're gonna make everything heftier. You're gonna say everything's uh, not mine. So if you do find food later, just throw it out. There's no, you didn't do a sin if you find bread, a big loaf of bread in your trunk that you totally forgot about. Okay, take the bread out, throw it in the garbage, and move on. It happens every year. We find something. You do the search. You're required to find everything. There's no such requirement. You do the search. The requirement is weird. to search it tells you exactly go here, go there. It's pretty much limited to places where you normally keep food.
0: What about I have to cover all of my counter space, my stove? I've got to kosher all my pots and pans and silverware.
1: Yeah, and cover your car with silver foil. <laughs> 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 That's all absurdity. It's all absurdity, and I'll explain it to you. Just do not cover anything, do not kosher your counters. You don't kosher anything that you don't use as a clear show. means direct directly on the fire. Anything that otherwise you clean simply the way you would clean everything. The countertops, the reason why they used to cover the countertops in Europe was because they were made either with tiles or with wood. And over the years, they were all cracked with holes in it. And there was pieces of hummus caught in the cracks. And then while they're cooking on those counters, the hummus is coming into the food. That's why they covered it. We have counters. We spend lots of money. We have granite and even the, 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 the fake quartz. and We don't have cracks with food caught in it. If you did have such a counter, well, first of all, I advise you to get rid of it and get a normal one. But if someone did have such a counter, then yeah, maybe he should cover it so that he doesn't have it. It should cover it every week because there's gross stuff in there.
0: <laughs> How about earthenware vessels?
1: We don't have that anymore. Everything's glazed by us. Even the stainless steel pots, do they really take in a flavor? They don't take in a flavor. Rev Herschel Schachter from YU. I don't know if he says this like a final decision, but he believes that stainless steel should not be a problem. It should be like glass, which is glazed, and it doesn't take in a flavor. We know it doesn't take in a flavor. Everything about kashrut is, can you taste it? If you know you can't taste it, then you don't have to worry about it. We we kashrut the pots. The only thing we kashrut was the pot. We didn't kashrut the silverware. We kashrut the pots. And the ladles, the things that you use on the flame itself. That's it. We didn't kasha the oven. We didn't kasha the microwave. We didn't kasha the stove. You just clean it. You're not cooking directly on the walls of the oven like in the olden days.
0: What if you put something in a dishwasher with a sani cycle?
1: Technically, that should work. But we have this concept that we need to kasha if someone is not up to koshering, go ahead and throw it in the dishwasher it's to make sure there's some soap in there. It definitely solves the problem. Do
0: you have any final words before we
1: sign off? Yeah, let me give you another point that's very important. In the time of the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, they had a concept where people who were not learned, right, Amaaretz, If he had um, pots, it would be considered tameh. And you couldn't eat the holy foods in it. Because you needed a special caring for that, and only special people knew how to care for it. So you assume his pots was a problem. When it came to the holidays, and everyone gets together, the rabbanim canceled the rule because they said, we want everyone to have unity. We want everyone to eat together. We don't want people saying, I'm not going to eat from your parts. So for the holidays, they made a special rule that even some things were a little bit of an issue, not on Pesach, not on Sukkot. During the holidays, everyone should have unity. The idea is that people don't trust other people on the holidays is completely against the
0: Jewish religion. Very important point to make. I want to thank you very much for, for taking the time to do this. I want to urge everyone again, go to www.kashrut.org, www.tashrut.org, visit the site, see the things that are on it, ask your questions, because Rabbi Abadi is unbelievably responsive to everyone, and please, download the, the Pesach list, but more important. Donate to kashrut.org, because Rabbi Aaron Abadi, his sainted father, his family have done such a great mitzvah over the years, and it needs to continue, and it can't continue without funds. They don't do this for money. You can even get the list without paying for it, but really, you got to give something. Please, again, thank you again, Rabbi Abadi. This is Rabbi Shama Engelmeyer. I do hope you come back for my next podcast. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this or my other podcast. Go to my website, www.shammai.org, www.shammai.org, and email me, please. If you don't get the Jewish Standard but want to read my columns, go to the columns page of my website. Shabbat shalom. Stay healthy. Keep wearing those N95 masks in indoor venues and in outdoor crowds no matter who tells you otherwise, including the mayor of the city of New York. Get fully vaccinated if you haven't done so yet, including all the available booster shots. Above all, stay safe.